Target Audience Podcast. Each episode, I discuss a film with a guest who is targeted by the film we discuss. They are the target audience, and I attempt to get on their level. This is a podcast about empathy through film. I'm Ben Miller, and I will be your guide on this journey. My guests are a diverse group, including today's guest, who I'm so excited to have on. Film critic and festival programmer, video editor and screenwriter, the editor-in-chief of the wonderful Filmotomy.com, Robin Wright, how are you doing? Oh, you're talking about me there as if I'm somebody special. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, that's the best intro I've ever had. So that's a great start. Yeah, thank you for asking me so many months ago. Yeah, brilliant. No, it's my pleasure. Yeah, that's the only that's the only downside of having the hindsight to try to do this out as far as it's like, hey, I'll ask somebody in September to do this and we record in December and it comes out in Jan- in February. So like, it's a big, it's a, it's quite the journey to actually put this podcast on. But regardless, yeah. uh, thank you so much for coming aboard. Um, we're talking about an awesome film today. Um, but before we get to that, um, so a, a, a little about yourself. So Filmotomy has been around for quite some time. Uh, talk about, I mean, this is it's the worst possible time in the world to be a film critic and do anything film related. Yeah. December's the worst. Uh, what, what, what's, what's going on these days? I wouldn't days? say December's the worst. I'd say it's generally the past few years has been bad for film critics because it's, because we all want to get <laughs> yeah. paid for it and everything else, but um, there's so many of us now that we're almost we're our own worst enemies. So we encourage others to do it, and then we yep. have they become our competition, and then our staff leave us and go and work for Variety, and we're still doing this. Shit. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. I suppose two thousand. I've, I've always loved film forever and ever. I'm not going to bore you with that, but certainly I was back in sure. sort of when Sasha Stone started out. I was, I knew her back then briefly. I had a remember Geo Cities. Uh, I had oh, a, yeah. a website that was just reviews. It was nothing. She was doing the Oscar thing then, and, and I sort of used to speak to her a little bit, and she even put my site on her, which was at Awards, um, Awards Watch, wasn't it? Um, but 2014, I, I decided to sort of do it, do, go for it, and I had bouts of unemployment, and I just thought, right, let's just do this, and we hmm. built the site, and I will admit the past three years, I've I personally have been quite quiet for personal reasons, but I've got to shout out to Doug Jameson, Australian critic who runs my award season flawlessly. I, I, I don't even need mm. to get out of bed. And, and Anna Miller, who travels the world, bless her, and still has time to go to Cannes for me and do festival write-ups. And So those two, without those two, I wouldn't be here today. But yeah, I'm looking to get back on the horse because it, it's a very... It's a, it's a big site and we're still getting the traffic um, and I'd mm. like to you know go for it and maybe add video content, get back on the pod, podcast horse and all of that stuff. So again, thank you for inviting me because that's kind of part of the journey to get back on that huge stallion of uh, film criticism. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's it, it, for the longest time, my joke was this like, well, I'm, uh, I'm not... Um, it's like I, I didn't have my own podcast for a really long time. I just kept guesting on other podcasts. Yeah. It's like, well, I can't be taken seriously as a film critic if I don't have my own podcast. And now, exactly. now, now I'm on iteration number two. But whatever. Um, 
Okay, Robin, before we get started, I ask the question I always ask everybody. Mm. Uh, if a film executive wanted to make a film specifically for you, catered to your taste, what would that movie have? Um, so I suppose I, I, I'd go back to when I used to... I mean, I used to write screenplays and took some time out, but I used to write films, and I suppose that you'd want to see yourself. So I really like... It'd have to be like a hard drama... Um, sort of, you know, real drama. But I also really like like quirkiness of character, and I like to see films that are like you recognizable dramas and reality, but you dip outside of that. So perhaps something angelic, mm. something a little bit strange. You know, um, films I think of are things like one of the hardest dramas I've ever watched is Magnolia, but but it rains frogs at the end. Mm. Um, you know, and films like uh, Kiki's Delivery Service, which I know is an animation, but has got that very real story, but it's got that fantastical element. And, and your name, another another um, Japanese animation. Um, so those are the type of films that if if they're going to make films for me, or I had to, you know, promote it myself, that they'd be the ones say, please make more hard, depressing dramas with, you know, let's step outside reality a little bit because let's face it, we all do that in our day to day lives, regardless of personality. Sure. So. I think I'm a bit of a naturalist when it comes to that sort of thing. Yeah, and it's it's you know it's tough whenever you have a film with this like such hard drama, and you're just like, man, this is, it's 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 not that it's hard to watch. You're just like, man, I'm kind of broken down by it, and you need a little bit of something like like Magnolia is two and a half hours of hard hard drama. It, it starts really raining is. frogs, and you're just like, whoa, like it's really not what. It, it, takes you into a different direction that's a good that's a that's a really fascinating viewpoint of way to put it and it leads perfectly into today's film um not so much on the drama side but at least on the fantastical elements we are talking about amelie uh from 2001 mm. uh i'm going to butcher every possible name so my apologies that's to okay. anybody listening with uh of, of uh french origins um <laughs> directed by jean pierre uh jean pierre genou uh screenplay by uh julien laurent probably wrong there uh, starring Audrey Tateau, uh, Matthew Kosovitz, uh, a host of awesome French character actors and actresses, mm. um, up and down, uh, up and down the the way there uh, came out in uh, April of two thousand one in France, uh, premiered later that year in uh, the United States, and uh, was a big old fat international hit, a hundred and seventy four yeah. million dollar hit on a ten million dollar budget. Can't complain about that. Uh, Robin, will you do us a favor and give us a quick rundown of the plot of Amelie? Yeah, it's it. You know, it reminds me a lot of um, Emma Woodhouse, the the story goes the Jane Austen, which was remade into Clueless, I suppose, in a sense. But the yeah, the the story of Emma, which was this quite sort of quite introverted character who decides to help others and forgets about her own life, but actually realizes she's fallen in love all along. And Emily follows that a little bit. But it is, as we'll discover shortly, I'm sure that it's it's a film I fell in love with and then recently did a personality test. Um, and, we, and I was the same personality type as, as Emily Poulin, as it turns out. Um, hmm. An introvert who kind of forgets about herself. Um, we mentioned it wasn't a drama, but it certainly has very real drama elements to it. She's very lonely. She forgets how lonely mm-hmm. she is. She, has a, she had a strange upbringing. But it's filmed in such a quirky way, you know. If you know the directors, you know that he did delicatessen and the, the way he films things. Um, so yeah, it is a familiar story of someone trying to help others and forget about themselves, and then realizing she's fallen in love, 
uh, herself in the end, and there's lots of quirks in there, lots of people that she helps. Uh, and it's it's a lot of the yeah. film, I think, people love the film for the way it was made, I suppose, rather than what it has to say, but it's scene for scene. It's, it has something to say about humanity. Uh, and it just speaks to me on like every single level. I had not re I'd I'd seen it years ago and I had rewatched it for this and I, I I was I was taken aback at how you know Amelie had kind of, for some reason it's there's a there's a group of films that at at the time get a big resounding yes from critics and audiences and then kind of get lost to the shuffle of like oh this isn't actually very good and Amelie had kind of fallen into that kind of category for at least people I knew in my orbit who were like ah it's 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 whatever it is and I watched it rewatching again I'm like no they're wrong it's it's magical like I <laughs> I was I was kind of taken aback by how um, lowered my expectations were I guess on the rewatch and then I was like no this is great um, there's a there's there's a there's a ton to get into in this film. Uh, obviously, it's it's a very it's very uh, narratively rich, mm. and can it, a lot of layers to it. Um, but uh, before we kind of we'll get into the film a little deeper. But I mean, like you said, is this why you're the target onto this film? It's just like it's the it's the it, it's it's that blending on your own personality to that main character. Yeah, and it's something like the, the, the literal personality of it I did recently was. When I see that it was like for like, but yeah, I suppose you don't really, mm-hmm. you don't really watch a film. Like your questions are quite interesting because you don't really watch a film and go, "Oh, that matches my personality type," or even you don't yeah. even think that, or that was targeted at me. You, you just don't think about film like that. So it is mm-hmm. really interesting that you you've gone on yeah. this angle, and I suppose it always has spoke to me in that way. Yeah, that maybe perhaps growing up, I was a little bit like her, you know, um, happy to help help others. Um, if I ever like, fancied mm. someone, I was attracted to someone. I would go a long way around it. I, I don't want to be, have the spotlight on me, you know. And that's just the way it is. It's strange, yeah. really. Um, but just to, to see the personality of the film and the character and myself, and looking back, I realize, oh, this is why I've loved this film for twenty-two years. Um, and I, I know, I know mm. what you mean. I do get angry when people say they don't like it. It's not for me. I'm like, what do you mean? It's not for you. I'm, I'm almost a bit sort of naive, <laughs> I suppose, but. I had someone on Facebook. I said I was watching it today on Facebook. And one of the reactions was an angry reaction. And I just thought, that's just like, they're getting unfriended. <laughs> I've, known this, I've known this guy 30 years, but that's it. I'm sorry you've crossed the line. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's like all these things. It's like, you've, you, it's like whatever you do, and like, it's like, I don't like Amelie. It's like, well, why? No, no, this is yeah. a bridge too far. No, it's, 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 um, you know, it's so funny. Like, this is a and it's a film you can absolutely understand where the passion comes from because it has those elements of like, you know, uh, uh, we'll get into this a little bit later. But I was watching it thinking it's like this is the most French film in the history of of the world. <laughs> it's so incredibly French. Like my my letterbox review is the the most French film to ever have franched. Like, it's yeah. It's 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 set in Paris. You have the constant accordion music. Andre Tattoo may be the most French-looking woman in the history of the world. Yeah. Like everything about it is just whimsy and and it, you know the, uh, it's it's funny as anti-French as the like it, it's it's so funny that how um, 
especially in like I always think back in the United States. I'm like, this is 2000, late 2001 in the United States, highest of highest patriotism, which somehow always translates to anti-Frenchism. Yeah. It always kind of worked out that way, like freedom fries instead of French fries and all that kind of silly thing. And then this comes out and actually strikes a chord with people. Yeah. The funny thing about it is, I guess it's just, it's so, it's the, it's very, as, as kind of adult and like kind of deals with some more mature themes. It's, it's very non angry. It's, it's, it's a film with, doesn't have a whole lot of anger. No, you're right. in it. It's much more about, it, it's, it's much more high spirited than I expected. Yeah. I think it's soothing as well, because it's, it's quite yeah. frenetic in places, the way it's filmed and edited and everything else. It's beautiful mm-hmm. to look at. Even you mentioned the French thing, I mean, even the colors, the reds and the greens, which people think blue of France, but actually mm-hmm. it's very red and green in France. Yeah. But yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I watched it today and I felt that, again today, and I felt very soothed by it. And you're right, it doesn't have any, really any anger in it. And it doesn't have a lot where I would think an audience could come away and go, well, I really hated that. I found that very offensive. So mm. that's why I don't, I find it universal, yeah. but obviously it speaks to people on different levels, obviously. Nobody has to love it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, it's, you, you talked about, Magnolia is an interesting kind of a, companion to this because it's mm. it's very much like a circumstances and and you know fate and those kind of things like the fact that she just drops a plastic perfume bottle that happens to roll into a thing that she finds this little thing and and it's it's the the plot is essentially the same as like there's an episode of the television series Friends where they're trying to find the what a selfless good deed is. Oh, yeah. It's essentially Amelie doing selfless good deeds for her entire life. Yeah. It's, I'm making the world a better place. It's not in any way helping me, except it makes me feel good. That's the only positive to it. It's like, there's not really... Uh, it's, it's, it's non-malicious. The helping is not to make herself better. And whenever she actually tries to make herself better, she actually self-sabotages. And... Yeah. She, like, even at the end, it's like, at, at near the end of the film, when you're like, okay, here's where she's going to meet Matthew Kasovitz, and it's gonna, they're going to come together, and they're fall in love, and she just hesitates, or stops, or goes away, and it's, it's almost frustrating. You're just like, you've been helping so many people in all these incredibly awesome, unique ways, and you can't do the most obviously plain thing you need to do. I've been in that situation before where. I'm happy to. Oh, you asked that girl out for me. Yeah, I'll I'll take her the flowers. I'll do everything for you. Like you got to ask out that girl you like now. Oh no no no, we're not doing that. You know, and it goes from being yeah, school to yeah. being an adult. Yeah. I've been in that situation, and maybe that's why I relate yeah. to it. But it, yeah, and it does. She reminds herself how alone and hopeless she is. And I don't mean that in a horrible way. It's just that's how she copes yeah. and, and lives her life. You know, she wants to do things for others and forgets about herself. Yeah, and even the like, it's it's very melancholy. Like whenever I think about the, the obviously the the tragedy of her mother dying in a ridiculously silly way of somebody killing themselves off the, uh, uh, throwing themselves off a chapel into their yeah. mother. Like it's it, it it's it's so it's so farcical. You're like, well, it's actually obviously sad, but I, I really relate. You know, obviously I have children, and having a daughter and being unable to relate to her is not something I ever want to get to in life. And that was the part of the film that really touched me in a way that I wasn't expecting. 
Like this, the, you know, yeah. she, they feel like she has a irregular heartbeat because her heartbeat skips every time her father comes in any sort of contact with her. And it's like, oh, that's so <laughs> sad that he doesn't realize that he's that. And, you know, like you said, it's, 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 she does, she kind of lost, she doesn't realize her own loneliness. That was generationally passed on because the father's the same way. Like just, he's mourning this wife that he'll never yeah. be able to get over and can't get out of his own bubble. And it's, he's, he has to be pushed into it. It's, um, luckily they don't, it's not focused on too much because I think it would be a very, very different movie if that was the sole focus of it, but her outward yeah. personality and that being that kind of way. And I mean, she's such a, like Amelie in general is such an interesting character as far as like, we don't learn a ton about her. Like she just no. takes pride in the little things. She's a little eccentric, but we don't really know what makes her tick and what she's like dying for it's just interesting i know what you mean yeah because uh, her childhood as, as good as that opening scene is and it's not a complaint but it is very much bullet pointed like you say mm. like oh well a mother dies it's a bit farcical a bit funny but we're not going to give you time to laugh or grieve it's just here we are this is she's lost her mum mm -hmm. and we all know that if someone loses a mum at an early age she it affects you for the rest of your life we don't need a history lesson or psychological analysis for that so that's what I love about it as well. But yeah. I know what you mean. And suddenly she's an adult, and you're like, uh, "But we only get to know in the in the real time, don't we?" By how she reacts and affects others mm -hmm. and herself eventually. So yeah, I understand where you're coming from, definitely. So you know, it's it's there's so much interesting little you know tidbits and and scenes in this film. Is there like one scene or uh, a line or a visual in the film that like Hit you the motion where you're like, okay, I'm completely on board with what this movie is trying to give me. Um, I, sp I suppose some of the some of the dialogue, it's really tricky because there's a lot happening. Um, there was a scene you mentioned the heart, and there's a scene where mm. she kind of appeases her dad. She doesn't ever correct him, you know. And I love that that that's not one particular scene, but there is one where she's an adult and the, and she's saying to him, "You should travel," and he says, "Well, we can't with your heart," and she's like. Yes, of course. Rather than saying, "Look, I'm, mm. I'm in my twenties now," the, the heart things are just a. But she lets she lets that facade continue. So I love I love that little line. Yeah. There. But um, I suppose the the outside of of Emily herself that the the narrative focuses on really strange little things like the opening, where the glasses are dancing because of the wind, and the narrator says that nobody ever sees that. Mm. And that's the sort of stuff I think about little mm. things like that, or the fact she skims stones to relax. And she finds a bond with the other guy who likes to punch holes in plant leaves, you know, to relax. And we've all done that with a hole puncher. We've all sat in yeah. school or in an office and punched something we maybe shouldn't. Sure. But I need to relax. Yeah. So it's those quirky moments I really love. Um, and I think some of the lines are, are very telling as well about emotions and doing things for yourself. And, you know, there's, there's all those clues there um, about handling your emotions. Yeah. And, yeah. So I couldn't pick one particular. As I say, I watched it again today, sure. and I got different things from it. So, ask me again mm. next week. I'll probably tell you something else. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's funny. I, when I was I was rewatching it, and, and you know, there, like you said, it's it's so lush, and there's so many little things. It's it's funny whenever you know she kind of makes this grand whenever she finds the box and she wants to return it to the guy, and she finally and before she does it, she's like, "If this works." I'm going to devote my life to this because of how yeah. successful it has been. If not, I'll go on and no harm, no foul. And then as soon as it's successful, 
she finds a blind guy and then lushly describes the entire the entire well, sidewalk and everything and it's just kind of like oh, oh, excellent like it's just it's so warm and sweet and harmless and like the little notes that she adds to like uh, a, a man with wrinkled eyes is giving flowers like the little like the wrinkled eyes the things like if you're describing something to a blind man and you, you get say, a yeah, you get the blind man's flowers. reaction as well don't you yes yeah, yeah and, and then, you get his reactions his little snickers ending, and his, his... taking it all in yeah and then obviously with the with the sun essentially shining on him like life has <laughs> begun yeah. anew and you're like oh it's it's yeah it just warms your heart like there, there's there's so much of the only really kind of mean spirited thing she does is to the grocer all the kind of dirty pranks but he's terrible so <laughs> nobody really kind of no, no, like it, it's that it's like okay the one time we're gonna be mean spirited we're gonna be mean spirited to the guy who kind of deserves to be mean spirited to and ever all the yeah. rest of the things are it's it's in this it's for the sake of humanity. I remember thinking that when she puts the the pin through the wire and, and it, 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 it electrocutes, not electrocutes him, but it, like the wire explodes. And I'm thinking, mm. you could have killed him. Yeah, <laughs> I know he's a bully, but <laughs> I thought the know, same that, thing. That, that, yeah, I don't think that other guy, as, as we love that other little guy who only uses one arm, I don't think he can win the shop himself. So we've got a problem here, and you're going to be like, now you're now in the, you know, Amelie two in prison. It doesn't have an end to it. Um, I'll tell you one line. I, one yeah. line I really like is when she's talking to the lady who's lost the, uh, a love from forty years, and she's never had replies from all her letters that she wrote. Uh, and she's talking about him as a weasel. And and Emily says, she says, "Have you got anybody? Have you ever been in love?" And Emily says, "No, I'm nobody's little weasel." I just find that really tragic <laughs> that she's how yeah. self-aware she is. Yeah, that she has nobody, and yet she's not willing to help herself. I found that you know that's. Beautiful line, but so tragic. And 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 you know, it's it's uh, not only self aware of her own her own realization of everything. It's also like an aspect of, well, weasel's not meant to be like a a, a bad thing. Like it's like oh, you're, it's like you think no. oh, you're little weasel. Like you would call like a little kid. Like just like no, no, this is a term of endearment and kind of getting on her level of like oh, he was always my little weasel and all that kind of like. <laughs> and it, 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 you know, I was at near the, obviously I'd seen it before, but uh, you know, even on the rewatch, I'm just like, you know, getting the, that lady, her letter, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a white lie. There's no harm in it. It's like, it's like it, it, a, a different movie would like give her almost comeuppance. Yeah. Well, like, like Amelie shouldn't be doing this because it's devious. It's wrong. And it's like, well, what's the harm? You're giving this woman light in her life back. And this guy's dead, and there's 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 no there's no consequences no. to this quest. And everything she does, it's just like, well, I'm trying to bring these two people together, and it's like, well, what are the consequences of it? It's all positive. It's never negative. And even and even like the kind of cosmic things, like I was really taken on the rewatch with the uh, the 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 expressionless man who took all the pictures and discards them yeah. all the time, and yeah. they kind of build this entire idea around this man about what he was and he's a time traveler in reality he's just a technician <laughs> who has to test out yeah. the machine like it's it's like it, it's oh well, what's the most complex answer it's like actually it's the easiest possible yeah. answer it and seems obvious this is kind of the the, the film kind that the film kind of goes with that it's like it's not something where it's like the answer should not be this complicated large thing it's just 
do the simplest thing, and that's probably the easiest solution to make everything a little more yeah. sweet. And it, it has so much to say. It, it reminds me of what you said, that everything overlaps. It's almost like there's a couple. There's, there's no more than a couple of scenes, but there's a few scenes where perhaps she'll do something, but well, a good deed, and then as she's still in the frame mm. and she's walking away, she'll see something out the window, and it leads on to something else. And the film constantly does that, so it overlaps the little narratives. You mentioned the lady, the white lie that, and, but but when the lady's running after Emily to say, oh, I've got my letter, Emily's in a moment of devastation and heartbreak, yeah. so she's not really bothered and not not she's not allowing herself to get that gratitude that she perhaps deserves, even though it is slightly deceitful. But at that moment, it's just not right moment for her, and she's not. If anything, it's rubbing it in her yeah. face. So it's very clever how the yeah. film does that. That's down to the writing, obviously, as well. It's it's it's. Screenplay complexity, it's its its quite the mess if you were like, put it down on paper. Yeah. You're like, man, the, the, the fact that it came out in a clean, narratively focused way is a, is a bit of a, a, a bit of a triumph in it itself. Really like I, I've always like, in, in general, I like to tell people it's like, anytime a movie is successfully made, it's a miracle because all these things kind of coming together in this way is... It, it, it's it's a minor miracle that it even comes out in any coherent way, and this has such so many things going on to make it into this kind of film. Is it, this could have gotten so messy and so complex and so kind of up its own butt and all these kind of different things, and it just comes out in this beautifully fluid way. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I think that's something else I love about. Obviously, I love films. So I suppose I don't know if a film, your favorite film, has to be technically brilliant. But this certainly is, and you're right. It, mm. it achieves that script to read. You must have been like, "Oh, you're doing ten things each scene here. I don't know how you're going to film that." Oh well, we did like do we get delicate yeah. and leave it with us. I mean, they also did Alien Resurrection. We're not going to talk about that. That that's the funny thing. I was I was looking up his filmography, and I'm like, "You want to talk about back to back films? Oh, Whiplash." Man. It's like he goes from Alien Resurrection to this. Now he takes he takes four years off, and I'm gonna guess. He took most of the money from Alien Resurrection and put it into this. That's my guess. And I want to say that Amelie might have made more money. Um, I hope so. It did. Amelie made more money than Alien <laughs> oh, Resurrection. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's great. But yeah, I mean, it's it's such a... It, it, it's obviously like, you know, he does Delicatessen. He does the... You know the city of lost children, oh. and he's kind of like the French guy. Yeah. And they're like, "Oh, we gotta, you know, we gotta gotta bring this guy into the Hollywood mainstream." And I cannot imagine the production of Alien Resurrection being one he was fond of. Like, it, it's it's it's. Uh, I don't think it's a terrible film. It tries a lot, and it is a it's a it it. I I I, I like the attempt, but as I, as the execution is the problem. And I don't know what is his problem. And uh, you got a film like Alien Resurrection. You're not really at the mercy of like, oh, I have carte blanche. It's like, no, you don't. You're you absolutely do not. Yeah. There's no chance that you get to do what you want to do. And it, it it's it's unnecessary to actually think that that's actually going to be the case. And do you know what? It's tragic that cinema seems to be more of an English speaking industry business that you've got at that time. Mm. You had Tarantino in America making these these explosive then in england we had we had danny boyle making shallow grave and train spotting similar style and then in france you've got this guy doing the same sort of thing he happens to be french so the, the english-speaking business wanted to pull him in and 
I'd like to think, yeah, maybe he did it because he thought he wasn't forced into it. But I mean, this is another podcast. You know, international filmmakers that make English sure, speaking sure. films often fail. Some of them sure. don't. Lanthimos certainly didn't. Um, but yeah, maybe no. he went back and made Amelie, and I'm glad he did, to be fair. And that it was on the same level as yeah. like, and City of Lost Children. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, it's, you, you, you don't see. <laughs> you, I can't imagine telling somebody to watch Amelie and then watching Alien Resurrection oh. and be like, by the way, same director, can't you tell? Like, no, there's there's nothing, there's no connective tissue. Like, it's 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 not the same level of, like, he's, he's held to such a standard in certain things with, like, Alien Resurrection. Like, there's, there's certain things, it's like, oh, I want to do this. And somebody would come in and go, no, like, no, this is Alien. We're, we're held to a franchise standard. You have movie stars like Sigourney Weaver and Winona Ryder doing certain things and like and then with Amelie you're like okay I can relax I can do what I want to do and I can essentially I, I, I'm in the level of what I'm trying to do as opposed to stretching for a paycheck yeah is and it's 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 so funny when how relaxed you can be and this is that's the other thing is as frenetic as frenetic and hectic as this movie is it's weirdly relaxed yeah it's it's weird to have the two happen. There's no fat on it or anything, though. and the Alien film doesn't no. even feel like it was directed by him. I didn't have any of that in it. At least with Alien Three, mm. as I know Fincher hated making Alien Three, but you can see it's a Fincher film. Yeah, you can see it's it's he's still making films so. like look, look like that, you know. But the Resurrection didn't. It could have been anybody making it. I just again, it's probably someone behind the yeah. scenes not allowing him to be creative, and that's sure. fine. He was allowed to go sure. back to France and make Emily and and a couple of other. You know, fairly decent film. So yeah, yeah, ah, shame. Uh, so so I I had uh, I had mentioned about this earlier. Mm. Um, I was saying that Amelie might be the most French movie ever made. Um, so uh, uh, obviously, to listeners of this podcast, uh, you are not American. You are not French. What? Uh, you are. Uh... <laughs> um, See, and and I, being being the silly Southern American, I cannot say I I do not feel comfortable saying where you are from with any sort of confidence. Okay. So tell the world where you're from. Well, I'm from the UK. I'm from uh, not sort of northeast, a place called Yorkshire, which you might know. People have probably mm. heard of Sheffield and Leeds. Uh, I, I live in the Yorkshire, mm. right right by not by the sea, but close enough. Um, I suppose you're going to ask me what the most British film is. <laughs> that is that is my question yes uh because you know i was i was thinking okay this is the most french movie ever it's like i was wondering about your 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 opinion of what the most british film ever is yeah i suppose it, i thought about this before we did a british podcast a few years ago but it's something i can only base it on really the life i've had which is pretty working class so i'm going to mention obviously mike lee mm. and ken loach films i think ken mm. loach is obviously is I think he's just made his last film, as so he said, and he's but he's done yeah. benefits and poverty to death. But I'm going to go back and say there's a film from the '60s called Billy Liar, which is Tom Courtney, mm. and that's very British in the way they speak, the way you you talk to your family and your and your nan, and and the dreams that perhaps people mm. had more so back then. Uh, so I'm going to say Billy Liar is probably I'm not the British most British film, but when I think of British <laughs> as I know it, I, I look at. I mean, I wasn't even born in the sixties, so I don't know exactly what it was like. But 
Sure. Those kitchen, you know, those kitchen sink dramas, you know, those films with, that have Julie sure. Christie and or Tom Courtney and, and people like that. They <laughs> depict a very soft. Yeah. And I think Mike Lee and Mike Lee's a bit more satirical, but he certainly has the same things to say that Ken Loach yeah. has to say. Um, I just feel like Ken Loach rams it down our throats a little bit in some of his. I, I oh, reckon okay. people from outside of the UK would watch that and be like, oh my God, it's awful in the UK. You know, it is. It is like that, but it's it's not all like that. We have we have nice countryside, yeah. and we have we have some decent, you know, coasts. <laughs> but sure, sure, yeah, it, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so I the, mean, the picture and, and I had I had I, I had I had posted the same question because it's like I I found it a much more complex question that I was that was anticipating. I said, "What's the most American film ever made?" And I posted it on Twitter and I got a really interesting variety of answers yeah. because I was I, like the one I always went to was Armageddon because I always felt it was America as propaganda. <laughs> like it's, it's the most like, look at our greatness of America. And uh, there's a lot of interesting questions, you know, uh, people, some people are uh, more than a few people said uh, American sniper. Oh, and uh, it's funny because uh, as a, as a negative, like, this is what America thinks it is, and in reality, the reality of it is what we think it, what it actually is. Is it's it's and uh, I a lot of Top Gun and thoughts like that, and you know it's it's a much more complex question. It's kind of like it's kind of like you said. It's like America, United States is a big place, and you can say like, oh, this is a very American movie. It's like, yeah, but I mean, like, what version of America? Like, you know, you could say. You could say gangs in New York, but that's was like, well, that's the, the dichotomy of, you know, throwing, uh, you know, against uh, immigration and what is who is an actual American citizen, all that kind of stuff. And like you said, it's like we have but lovely beaches. It's not all poverty and sadness. No, it's and it's yeah. And or anybody who is and, and I would have like, you know, I've been to Paris before and I did not get the Paris that was anomaly. Yeah. Like it was a very like uh, of course I was an I was a dumb American teenager <laughs> and f- f- uh, the the French are uh, famously a little uh, um, uh, blistery against ones who are uh, uh, ignorant of French so um, but you know it's, it's same thing like you can't as a tourist you can't be like oh this is the real it's like that's not really what it is no. and. Um, you can't you can't look at it when Harry met Sally and say oh that's what New York is like. It's like it's not. But no, nah, but I, I like, love that film as well. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of interesting points we can make. I mean, why? I suppose I, I'm not going to ask you this now, but it's something to think about. Why is why does New York get destroyed in so many films? It, it, do, do you not like <laughs> your like your some, almost like your pinnacle city? It's where people think is all America is some ignorant people. All America is in New York. It's not. But why do they destroy? How many times has that Empire State Building and the Statue of Liberty been blown to bits? Well, I think it's 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 because you know if, if if it has to be an impact, like if you come through and like an oh an alien race came and destroyed Atlanta, Georgia, you're like, well, that doesn't mean much. I mean, <laughs> it, like I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not saying Atlanta does not have a ton of people and it's not a tragedy, but you think of like. The most, and and I had somebody on Twitter say Independence Day. That was the answer because not only did they destroy, they destroy L.A., Washington, D.C., and New York. Bam, 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 almost moment to moment. 
And it's not necessarily the destruction of the cities or the murdering of the people. They take down the Empire State Building. They take down the, the, the Statue of Liberty, the White House, Capitol Building, these monuments to America, what America stands yeah. for, what you think of America are toppled. If you do, like you said, if you do that in, if you, even if you take down Chicago, the third biggest city in the United States, that doesn't have the impact because there's not the symbols to the United States in Chicago that New York and LA have the stereotypical of Americanism. And same thing, like if in Paris, it's always at the Eiffel tower, Paris is a big place. It's not just the Eiffel tower. Like it just happens to always be. That's 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 the the power source. Don't you forget that? That's it. Nobody can, nobody can eat or (laughs) cook. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, and, and, you know, how often, you know, it's the same thing with, uh, in, in London, it's always, it's always uh, House of Lords and and Big Ben. It's always what that's that's the thing that is always focused on because that's the symbol. Yeah. And you know, even you know, London Bridge or the Tower Bridge, excuse me, like all these kind of things. Like it, it's such a symbol of it. And Amelie does it. it they do a it does a really good job of showing Paris without showing like the cliche of mm. Paris. Like it's, it's, it's a lot of train stations and a lot of, uh, you know, inner like, uh, little cafes and not like the cliche cafes. They're actually enclosed and and it's as, as somewhat cliched and French as it seems, it actually kind of goes off the beaten path of what French could actually be. Yeah. And the characters of of Amelie as well, as, as, as bright and vibrant as it is, Mm. I would say every character in Amelie herself have flaws. You know, you've got the people in that, in that, the two windmills cafe where, that other guy's just stalking whoever is with and is a pest and is logging it. And you've got yeah. the failed writer who, who yet appears to be quite arrogant about and, and not giving up on yeah. and And the, the barmaid, the coffee ladies have also got a bit of arrogance about them. So, you know, they're not all, well, they are likable, but they all have, they have flaws. The hypochondriac, you know, yeah. as well. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's always, and it's always so funny. It's like, the idea of a hypochondriac and a stalker getting together, <laughs> like it's like, and you know, the it, it, it's these angles you don't. And then the, you know, even Mister Glass is pretty prickly. Like he's just oh, like he he's, he, he he's just he's he's mean to the 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 kid grocer because he talks too much. And you know, like, um, and the the, I really like the central idea of that redone Renoir painting over and over again yeah. about this girl is actually Amelie and she can't, it, it won't be grasped until she grasps herself. It's, it's, it's a, it's a cool little uh, centralized thing. You know, when you think of this film, do you think of it more like it, it's, it's, I'm, I'm surprised it, it was as successful as it is because it's, it's a little weird. It's a little quirky. It's not necessarily like, do you think this film was meant to be more broad minded and hit you specifically or is this like a specialized audience type film? Like, I I brought this up to uh, we were talking about an unmarried woman, mm. and they said uh, I said, do you think this is like I was talking to a woman about it, and she said, you know, this is such a film for women. If men like it, that's a plus, but it's not necessarily the intention. Do you think like somebody like you or for French do you think for, they were meaning to branch out from French audiences? Yeah, it's a good question. I think uh, the trajectory of the guy's career, having made that, got into America and made that movie, and then whether they associated 
that with with this going back to France. But this certain film is certainly more accessible than his other two. His first two films, which are almost near masterpieces mm. as well, Delicatessen and um, City of Lost Children, which are probably not that accessible to American and English audiences as much as Amelie is. As mm. I said, there's that familiar story yeah. there. So I do think it was a bit of both. I think definitely going for the French audiences um, and a lot. there's a lot of, there's a lot of pro- proverbs and, and, and philosophies in there as well, but stuff we all recognise. You know, and there's a lot there for the English audience, and I think the story itself, as I said, could could you easily go back to like Jane Austen, you know, the Emma story that it's a very familiar, on very very familiar ground. So I'd certainly think he was making something more accessible outside of France than he was with with Delicatessen, which I think I love, but I think with Bamboos, a lot of people going, what, what, yeah. why, what's going on here? Um, same with City Lost Children. You know, he's got a bit. He's got an imagination. And he's got a way yeah. of executing it, certainly. Um, but I think Emily was yeah. definitely more of a universal tale. But yeah, you're right. It is very, very French. But I still think he was, he and everyone involved was trying to make it accessible yeah. outside. Um, you know, it did well with the Oscars as well. I know there was there was a few issues, sure. like Weinstein issues there, but. Yeah, you know that's that's you know what I mean. It's a shame. It was never it was never going to win best foreign <laughs> language. Being what it is. Yeah. No, it's 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 so funny because like you look at that and you're like, well, you know, you think the on paper you're like, well, the film that gets five Oscar nominations, including a screenplay nomination and is also foreign language film at the time nominees, like, well, that's a shoe in. It's France and France is like kind of the international film behemoth, and you're like, well, what shouldn't this shouldn't this kind of translate? And then like you said. When the word Weinstein pops in, you never know what you're going to get out of that. Yeah. But, I mean, but the thing with that, it was all it yeah. was. It wasn't. It wasn't. He, the, Gina didn't allow him to manipulate him. I think, and he was wanted to cut the film down, and yeah. and he said, "No, I'm leaving it as it is. It's my film." And Weinstein doesn't like so you said no to him, and all of a sudden it gets all these nominations, but it doesn't win best foreign language film. And No Man's Land is very good, but and, I, I and, think that was considered a surprise, like when Pan's Labyrinth yeah. didn't win. So. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's it's, you know, Weinstein, outside of his obvious obvious crimes, you know, he he did all that, you know, he did it to Bong Joon Ho, he did it to, uh, um, oh, who made Blueberry Night, My Blueberry Nights, Wong Kar Wai, yeah, Wong Kar Wai, he did it to Wong Kar Wai yep. too. Like it's like, oh, we're gonna make these, we're gonna make these American films, and they're like, yeah, we're gonna bring in these guys to have their really autoral vision. They have their autoral vision. And it's like, okay, I'm gonna chop it to pieces. Yeah. It's like, well, what, what, what was the? Why'd you bring them in for? Like, who, who the hell are you to to say what these guys are doing or these people are doing to to chop it off? Yeah, it's it's. I, I I'm glad I'm glad he was able to stick to his guns. And who cares if in the long run, who no, cares? Because right. I'm not. And, and yeah, and it's and I I wouldn't want this like. It's it's right at two hours, and like you said, there's no fat on it for yeah. two hours. I don't know what you'd cut. I don't. Like you'd probably have to cut a whole subplot of something, or maybe the dad or something like that. But that's that's essential. That, to someone like Weinstein know. won't have, um, have thought of the plot. He'd have just seen the runtime, and he would have said, "This needs to be one hour yep. forty-five. Sorry, or one hour thirty. Yep. Yep. I don't care what about the story. Yep. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I'm glad we're past that. Yeah, I am as well. I am. Um, yeah. But uh, that being said, <laughs> um, so, you know, when you talk about Amelie in general, uh, 
you know, when it comes to venturing out, like if you think of people who do not necessarily like this film or kind of rebel against it, mm. when it comes to venturing outside of the target audience, what would you like an audience member discovering this film to understand? Why? What? What is it? What is it? What's the hook? Um, I suppose the fam- it's got the familiar story, as I've mentioned already. The the this, she's a very likable character, and you, you obviously want you root for her uh, from its very quirky the way a childhood is brought brought in quite quite rapidly. Actually, I, I would like to have seen a bit more, if, if anything, because mm. it was funny. Um, yeah, you know, it reminded me of my own childhood in a way, with a where you draw your, you draw the face on your hand, or you um, make music, you know, with wine glasses, or then paper chains. You know, we've all done that stuff, <laughs> yeah. picking glue off your fingers. So it, it's a very sort of empathetic film, but yeah. also it's very nostalgia. I think it would raise a lot of nostalgia with a lot of people, even that in that opening, and then into adulthood, remind us how we are as adults, perhaps moulded from from a child, how we're moulded, mm. depending on what happens to our parents or their personalities, and also how we are. You know that this this character specifically is, I would say, very unselfish, and that's partly a downfall, mm. but. We like to see that on film, don't we? You know, we, classic novels are made of this stuff. Shakespeare, you could argue, we, we, there was a yeah. lot of this in that. But yeah, I mean, it's so I would say the, go and explore the character and look for this character and just see what she achieves. And also, technically, you know, the film, it just like you say, it whizzes by, edited, visually beautiful. I yeah. mean, I can't fault a single element of it. The music is magnificent. I, no. Even in isolation, just listening to it on its own, it's got every bit of music has got a different emotional turn to it mm. even watching it today again i was just like yeah i forgot how brilliant this music is um and like you said there's no fat on it yeah i, I looked and saw two hours and i thought it felt shorter last time i watched this but i, I, I couldn't think of a single yeah. scene i would put <laughs> so yeah i mean you know i can screw about all day yeah. about what if you what you why why would i watch this film i'd be like right sit down let me have a chat with you but i'd be more angry with people that watched it and said <laughs> you know, it wasn't for me it wasn't for me i'm like well you're not for me yeah Leave. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm in your house. I'm in your house. I, I get it, but I'm um, still, I want you to leave. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's wonderful. Um, that's a that's a that's a perfect way to uh, to end our talk on Emily. Uh, before you know. we uh, before we uh, go, um, Robin, uh, can you give me a film where you were actually not the target audience that hit you in a specific way? Yeah, I've been thinking about this. This, this, and I was talking to someone today, and I was thinking this is another really good question. Like, we don't think about yeah. our target audiences, and I suppose. And I was thinking, mm. what film? The first thing I thought was Mean Girls because I thought it's, it seems to be a, a, ah. a film for women, by written by a woman. Um, um, but it's actually not. It's actually very much directed at guys. If if you watch it, I think the older you get, you realise there's a lot of digs in yeah. there. And but as so I thought of that, but I think yeah. the best one probably is. A genre of film is, I don't really like musicals. What I don't like about musicals, and some musicals I, I think are masterpieces. I'm going to mention a couple, but I don't like it when people are talking and then they start singing. I find that awkward. You know, like hmm. Dream Girls did, did it really badly, I thought, where they're just yeah. like, I'm going to sing everything. I, I'm having an argument with you and I'm going to sing. No, this is not. This is not. <laughs> so musicals and romantic yeah. films are not really my thing as much as I'm a big romantic in real life. But Umbrellas of Cherbourg, mm. I absolutely love that film. And ah. West Side Story, I love West Side Story, the original. So it made me think of those two films are perhaps they're not catered for me, but 
because of the two big genre elements, but something about me being this romantic and how there's, there's a real love story in these films. I don't know if it's a Shakespeare thing, and with Umbrella's a share bag, I'm a big fan of French cinema of that era, of any era. So those were the ones that I thought would be a good example, especially as I wasn't a big fan, fan of La La Land, which I know is, is a really bad mm. thing to say. I wasn't massive on it, and you can see that was clearly influenced <laughs> by Umbrella's of Cherbourg. Obviously, Damien Chazelle was like yeah. a massive fan of that movie, and he wanted to recreate big parts of it. Um, they just didn't do the same for me. Maybe the chemistry between the actors, I don't know, but with the original, kind of blew me away, you know, and, and Jack Demi made a couple of other films after that in a very similar vein and was a very talented fellow. So sometimes films that I think musical, you know, I like Cabaret as well, but I think that's more... There's a lot more to say than that, and it's much more of a drama that happens to be set in a musical world. So, yeah, that, they're the yeah. two I would say. I would say Bellas of Sherbog more, uh, if you'd have asked me 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when I was a, a kid, would you watch this film? I'm like, it seems a bit uh, musical in the colours, but it's, <laughs> it's a beautiful film, isn't it? So. Me and my me and my brother kind of realized there were three types of musicals. There was the there was the uh, Les Misérables where it's just there's no non not there's no speaking. It's all music, yeah. and that is the one that probably is the least palatable. And then there's like the West Side Stories and the La La Lands where there's talking, regular action. And then they break into musical and dance. And I always like the third version, which is like Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Cabaret being another good example where. All the performances, with the one notable exception, are on a stage with people performing. Yeah. Like, people are looking at this and like, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? All the music is organically in the film. The people are making music because they're just playing music. It's not like they're stopping and, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's hard to kind of get on that level. Like, West Side Story being a, being a good example. I, th- you're, you're plugging me perfectly into the next ep- my next podcast episode is they're targeted by oh, inside story. So um, wow. just the, the, the general idea of like stopping in the middle of the street. It's like, I'm going to kill you with a knife dance battle. Like it's always just kind of like that, that, that br- abrupt whiplash swing of it all. Uh, I get that. So uh, uh wonderful answer. Uh, umbrellas of Shorberg. And then obviously those, uh, so those films. Um, okay. Robin, this has been wonderful. Before we go, give me uh, a few other films that describe you. As a film goer, as the go-to Robin Wright films, yes, I suppose the what's talking about the dramas. I suppose earlier the dramas that are a bit quirky. I suppose all out drama films, and it made me think of how they how they're shot and how they're made. So films like La Ventura, mm. Three Colors Red. Um, mm. There's a mm. Ashraf Fahadi film called About Ellie, which I think is even better than A Separation. Mm. Uh, Nashville, which is oh. a, is that a musical? It's definitely a drama. That that was a, by the way that was that was on the that was listed a couple of times as the most American film. Well, yeah, I can understand. Yeah, Ida, um, uh, the Polish film. Yep. So films like that, where these drama drama films. That, but the, I think the things I love about these films are that uh, that not only of the era, but the where they're shot. Leventura, you know that Antonioni mm. film. If you watch that film now, it's so simple the way where it's shot, but people still like getting that right now. So I don't know how he did it. He watched this, just the basic, like when she opens that door and she stands and watches the sunset. I don't think anyone could possibly do that now. It's like an achievement. And then you've got the other films like Magnolia. Mm. Uh, Amadeus, I find, is a drama that, again, is it a musical? Mm. I'm, I, maybe I do like musicals. I think I've maybe... <laughs> um, you know, um, 
But Magnolia and eight and a half, The Exorcist and a Czech film called Marketa Lazarova, which is also has a little fantastic element in it. Those are the films that sort of stick with me. And my favourite Star Wars film is Empire Strikes Back, if you haven't guessed already, because it is the mm. most dramatic and the most dark. So maybe that's where I am. I'm, yes. I'm a pretty like easygoing person, but I think my film tastes, uh, you know... Oh, you like some Bellas of Cherbourg? That's got colour on the poster. Surely not. Yeah, I'm afraid I do. Yeah. And I've got West Side <laughs> Story right here. I've got it right here, look. I've got, it's got the script. There you go. It's a magnificent yes. edition. So, oh, nice. Yeah. And I, I don't mind Spielberg's version, it's, but it's I, I don't think it needed to be remade. Yeah, I think so too. It's it's There are certain films that's like, there's just no reason, like, it's they're such a time capsule and you know i was watching it i just watched it yesterday and i was like it i'm i'm blown away by the sheer athleticism on display like the things yeah. rust hamlin does in that movie is just mind-boggling he's doing back handsprings out of nowhere and then doing like acting monologues you're like this is nuts like so <laughs> yeah um, that film yeah that's that wonderful i mean that. uh you you just to say the Natalie Wood story, yeah. yeah, juxtaposed with a new version, which kind of falls down as well because the the choreography and the rest of it is so dynamic. You just care for those that their passion and their love more than you do with them, and that's fails in both yep. films, I think. Yep. But yeah, yeah, it's it's that that's why it's a it's you know it's a fascinating conversation to talk about it, especially a film like that today. And not the remake version of it, because it's like the remake is like, oh, we're gonna avoid all the issues we had. It's like, well, the issues are what make it kind of interesting. But absolutely. Um, well, Robin, thank you so very much for coming aboard. This was this was a blast to talk about an awesome movie. Yeah. Um, I think that just about does it for this episode of Target Audience. Thank you all so very much for joining us, and Robin, thank you for joining us. Uh, obviously, uh, still chugging hard on uh, filmotomy. Uh, yeah, I have. I wrote for you one little thing a long time ago, and that's the last that I wrote about Mississippi Burning, another very American movie. So, um, uh, it, I'm, you are a, a nonstop workaholic. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, but you're welcome to come back, Ben. I mean, um, I'm looking to re- re-recruit. I, I can't pay people, but you know, the, the, I've got a community of writers. And I've, neglect- <laughs> I've neglected everybody. I think even my own editors that are running the ship for me while I'm outliving some kind of what you might call a life <laughs> but yeah you're welcome to come back and this has been absolutely <laughs> terrific to get back on this you know talking about films just i've, I've got to get back on the film Otomy podcast as well you're welcome to come for that well, so. well here's 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 the this is the this is the step uh, the step up into the uh uh the re-emergence into you into the podcast world uh where can they uh, <laughs> where can people find you on the socials Right, so it's filmotomy.com is obviously the main site. We're also on Instagram, which we are looking to get someone to post more regularly on there. That's at filmotomy as well. Uh, Twitter, is that still... Is it, I mean, I don't even know if it's... I think the domain is still Twitter, but that's also filmotomy. Um, what, yeah, that, that's that, where I am. Filmotomy at X. I don't, I, but filmotomy, you'll find me. Um <laughs> I've got six thousand followers, which is which is not bad considering I've been on hiatus for way, way longer than I should have been. Um, and I've got a Facebook page as well, which uh, yeah, I do need yeah. to plug more. But I just feel Facebook. I don't think really people really go on that now for this sort of thing. And maybe Insta, uh, in, what's the other one? LinkedIn. But I'm happy to pursue yeah. the social medias. Yeah, but come to the websites. Doug is doing some great award season work for me at the minute, and Anna Miller is going to be back in business as well, and so will I. I. 
I'm extreme, I'm extremely jealous of your uh, your proficiency in the web page, and, and uh, I'm very jealous of your uh, views. Um, but I mean, uh, that's just me, but my own stupid site. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Neb has been on Letterbox at Neb has been on Blue Sky at Neb has been on Instagram at Neb dot is been. Check out my website icecreamforfreaks.com. You can follow my other writings on the film experience, cinema scholars, and movies we texted about. You can also find me at other pods. I'm the David Thulis of podcasting. Um, please follow the podcast on Twitter at Target Odd Pod and on Blue Sky Target Audience. Enjoy the show wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Remember, get out of your bubble, expand your horizons, and just watch more movies. Stone.